Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Soda Speaks, the Closet Series. I'm your host, Christy Mandor. If you are ever in a state that I find myself in where you're so overwhelmed by the news and you just feel frozen, like you don't know what to do, you're overwhelmed by all of the headlines flying at you or the stories coming in and you're just like, what am I going to (laughs) do? You just feel helpless and hopeless. One of the best strategies that I have found and put to practice is to one, consciously limit your intake of the news, as well as choose strategically your mode of intake, meaning what creates the most control that you can moderate, as well as just the feeling that you get when you listen to the news. So is it reading it? Is it listening to it? Is it watching and listening to it? I find reading it is so helpful because I get to put my own tone to the story. I get to read it at my own pace. I can put it down when I want and then pick it up. And it is the easiest way to process what's happening in the world. One of the other wonderful ways to handle all of the news that's happening in the world and your community that I heard and that I put to practice is to choose what you can do about it. So that gives you a sense of immediate agency over your contribution to helping alleviate whatever the problem is that you're hearing is happening in the news. So take one story that you're listening to and something maybe that really triggers you or that you're very passionate about and do one thing that you can help to alleviate whatever the story is about. So if it's a donation, it's a donation. If it's contributing time, it's contributing time. If it is sharing stories on socials so that you can share causes, so that you can share websites to help other people be informed and also be able to do something to make a conscious effort to alleviate whatever the trouble is that is in the news, that is such a help in that overwhelming deer in headlights, hopeless feeling that we often get when we intake too much news or even a little bit, knowing that what's one thing I can do with the story to contribute in a way that it helps alleviate whoever or whatever is in distress. And one of those ways is volunteering. And we often hear about volunteering and we, I, I feel like it's, it's oftentimes misunderstood. So I'm so happy to introduce you or reunite you with our next guest, on the show. It's one of my favorite human beings in the world. His name is Gary Bagley. At the time of our recording, he was the executive director of the largest volunteer nonprofit organization serving the five boroughs of New York City called New York Cares. Gary was also one of my first bosses out of college. And he continues to amaze me with the work that he does and the care and passion that he has in helping change the world for good and spin it on its axis in the right direction. 
In our conversation, Gary helps break down the impact that volunteering has not only on each individual or population served, but also on its immediate community. So it doesn't matter where you live in the world. Yes, Gary's based in New York City, but what he speaks of can be integrated and applied in your pocket of the world, wherever you find yourself in. He also sheds light on the mark that New York Cares has been making on the New York City community during the heart of the pandemic, during 2020, but also how a previous career in the arts that Gary had significantly informed the work he does now and the inherent larger effect that volunteering has on all of us by enhancing our sense of interconnectedness, humanity, and deep empathy, which then leads to compassion. So you can empathize as much as you want, but oftentimes that's just going to have you spinning. So moving from empathy and feeling for whoever or whatever is suffering in our world, and then moving to compassion, that is a conscious intentional action to help alleviate the suffering of others. It's such an incredible conversation. I'm so happy to share it with you. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Gary Bagley. Hi, Gary Bagley. Hey, how are you, Christy? <laughs> so good wow. to see you. It is so good to see you. Yeah, it's just like we were saying a few minutes ago, I'm going to try to get out of this which is a beautiful ray of light, but it's a little distracting right in my face. Um, (laughs) It's a moment by moment by moment right now. It's, you know, we're, we're talking the day after the election and there's just a stagnant holding place that we're all finding ourselves in. That is, it's a chronic stressor. Absolutely. You know, um, I was, I've been thinking a lot about that because, um, you know, it, even at New York Cares with our focus on volunteerism, uh, that has been disrupted during the pandemic. And for a lot of us, giving back is fundamental to who we are. It's a sense of well-being. It's an activity that makes us feel like we're a part of the world. And a lot of us have been separated from that. And so uh, each of these moments, this stagnation, as you really put it very well, um, they're a little bit harder because a lot of our coping mechanisms have been taking, taken away from us. And one of those is feeling connected to the world around us by giving back to it. So it's been very, very hard for a lot of folks. It's so hard. It's that sense of contribution, the sense of community, the sense of connection where, you know, like even that physical connection, some people are still really timid about hugging and uh, getting together and, there's something that is visceral that we're all lacking and it got ripped away from us without even any notice. Like what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, um, well, and you know, you know, my history before New York cares, which is, you know, that I was in the arts and I studied theater and, you know, I, 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 I've spent most of my life walking up, hugging people, saying hello, um, shaking hands, uh, even at New York Cares with volunteers, with donors. It's uh, being out with people is so fundamental to who I am uh, that it was a huge adjustment to say, like, 
and, and in one regard, there was a lot of, if you will, loss in that, that adjustment to say like, oh, I don't, my, my sense of self is very different now. Um, and then for all of us, uh, you know, challenging ourselves to find um, a sense of, you know, if you will, the solitude of it, enjoying that, making use of it. Part of me, you know, has said, and I think this is, you know, I, I think this way for New York Cares, uh, I think this way for Gary Bagley is to say, listen, a year from today, how will we want the world to talk about how we responded in this moment, mm -hmm. right? Because in every hardship, um, in every challenge moment, there are individuals, there are companies who embrace that moment for some reason and are able to take it to um, use it to uh, become a better version of, of who they are, right, in the world. Um, I remember reading, I always loved this, um, that uh, in, a, in a business book called um, uh, Good to Great, Jim Collins, um, he then wrote a, a, a monograph about uh, good to great for the social sector, right, how we would think about that in nonprofits. And one of the things that he points out is that even in these moments when there are huge challenges and many organizations struggle, if you look, there are some organizations that actually thrive. They actually do better. And so some of it is about the, or a big part of it is about the mindset of saying, you know, we're going to be in the 10% who the, this pandemic is going to be the thing that defines us as better than we've ever been in our history. And so kind of keeping my energy there, uh, uh, you know, in the leadership role, um, trying to both be supportive of team, understanding of everything they need, and there's huge needs right now for everybody. And then also pointing sort of to the better organization we can be um, and look back a year from now and say, wow, like we really used that moment in time um, to the advantage of our mission. Uh, and to be the biggest help we could be in New York City and in ways that are going to transform us in the future, right? Where we'll never be the same New York cares we were just a year ago because of this moment in time. So that's what that's, uh, it's been a, a, a really important mindset to try to maintain. It's so important and it's, it, it's such a grounding, anchoring question Mm -hmm. that I love. There's some, there, it's so profound. It's so beautiful. Everybody can use it for themselves, for their organization, for their family, for their community. Like what version of myself do I want to be a year from now? I just, there's so much, and there's so much hope in that yeah. and that there actually is going to be a future. We're not going to be stuck in this holding pattern for so long. Right. You know, I, I just, I absolutely love that. So can you just speak to how New York Cares has handled and is handling the pandemic and anything that you want to share in regards to any insights for hope for anyone who's listening on how they can find a way to give back during this time. Sure. You know, New York Cares, interestingly, um, you know, I always say, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So we at New York Cares ha have an actual agreement 
with New York City Emergency Management that in the event of an emergency, uh, we will be the group that helps to mobilize what are called spontaneous volunteers. All those wonderful people who say, I wanna help, right? Um, when, when frankly, a lot of people sort of would run in the other direction, these are the volunteers who run toward it. So we knew in the first couple weeks in March that there was a very strong chance that we were going to be activated and that we needed to start thinking about first, what could we do to help the city we love, because that's our mission, and then kind of intersecting that with our values in a way that, um, because I think a lot of the world ran into this, we were, we had problems that we didn't imagine before, right? So if a child uh, in Queens needs somebody reading to them after school, and we have a volunteer in Brooklyn, and the school is still open, and the volunteer is still willing to travel, should we do that? right? Because at the same time, we were getting the guidance, stay home if you can. So uh, should we put a volunteer on that subway? If they're willing, when do we intervene? So um, we had a lot of what I call sort of ethical dilemmas in those first couple weeks. <clears throat> when, when the city really shut down, the Department of Education closed, um, we looked and said, first, that the one system that was disrupted the most and most immediately evident besides the Department of Education trying to get all kids to study remotely is there was also the hunger system in New York City. And one of the things that a lot of people may not realize is the hunger network runs on a huge amount of volunteer power. Right? When you go into your soup kitchen or pantry, first of all, it could be an entirely volunteer operation or there might be one or two paid folks, depending on the size of the operation, and then a huge number of volunteers. So in the face of the pandemic, um, we got the message from the state uh, and city health departments that nobody should be volunteering over the age of 50. Well, that took a huge portion of the volunteer workforce out. It meant a lot of the soup kitchens and pantries weren't able to keep functioning. And many of them were, you know, I, I think we're all familiar with this, you know, you, there's a, uh, you know, a pantry in the basement of a, of a church or a synagogue or, or a mosque in the neighborhood, right? So they couldn't social distance. Spaces weren't big enough, right? So there's this huge disruption, about a third of the soup kitchens closed down. Uh, and really proud, the team just rallied and first we said, we started recruiting volunteers. About 13,000 people stepped up to say they would like to help in the first four weeks following that activation. We said, we're gonna focus our in-person effort on hunger, right? Because that's the one thing that has to happen in person. Of course, right? sure. And even, even on, in cases where say a senior couldn't come to the senior center, we could get a volunteer on a bike or in a car to drop a meal at the door. Um, so our team reached out to about 500 organizations across the boroughs, said, do you need help? Started over 60 new partnerships. Uh, and so today, um, in a period of time when we normally would have served about 2.5 million meals, um, we're actually on track now. It's about 29 million since the Oh onset. my God. Yeah, I always say, you know, it's something to be proud of and it's so sobering at the same oh, time. Oh, 100%. It's, it's the ultimate bittersweet 
number. <laughs> it's proof we were able to step up. The team has yes. been doing remarkable work in this regard. And at the same time, and this is the, uh, you know, the leader in me also says, and this is not everything that's needed, right? The 29 million is, I don't, it's not a drop in the bucket, but it's not three quarters of what needed to happen. And so how do we push ourselves, right? How do we both take care of ourselves so that we can show up for this work as an organization and then also be there um, for the nonprofits, right? Because no matter uh, how much we might be struggling, you know, in our work remotely, there are folks who are also on the front lines, right? We see that they're, you know, every day they mask up, glove up, to put in their hand sanitizer in their in their purse or backpack and go off to work and they're doing that every day so um, that's been one of the biggest things that we've done I'd say the second area um, that that we knew right away working with the city would be a huge issue was mental health mm -hmm. right so there are a lot of populations that even in the best of times for all of us um, suffer isolation um, the elderly uh, veterans very often, um, people with special needs and disabilities, right? Often isolated, even at the best of times. So now when we pull out any support, there were, we knew there was a real risk of, of major mental health issues. Um, so again, the team just adapted, um, developed a phone banking system, uh, and, and this is so we could also guarantee the safety, like volunteer and client don't see each other's phone numbers, right? And, uh, you know, had to set up a whole system to do thorough background checks of volunteers, etc. write scripts, arrange that during the call, volunteers take notes so that if, you know, if we need referrals from the Department for the Aging or Department for Services, that those could happen. And so right now we're on track. The team has made about 60,000 calls um, to the elderly, um, to vets, and also to families in transitional housing. I know you and I were communicating a little bit before today. Um, one of the facts of life in New York City, um, and has been for the last several years, is about 60,000 people a day spend time in transitional housing or in a shelter, as we would uh, traditionally call it. Um, in New York City, about 23,000 of those people are children. Um, so many of them are supposed to be in school, trying to learn remotely. Um, they're living in a shelter system. Um, so our team did worked with the Department of Education to reach out. The Department of Education had provided um, iPads for students so that they could do remote learning if they didn't have some of the technology already. So we would be calling out to families saying, you know, did you get the iPad? Did you get one per child? Can you get into Google Classroom? Right, is, the, is your digital signal strong enough? And, you know, I, I made some of those calls with the team. I tell this story rather a lot. We, we did an afternoon of making calls so that we could understand it, mm -hmm. which by the way, um, one bit of advice I give to people around volunteering all the time is volunteering actually helps you understand the other experience in a very kind of visceral way. 
mm-hmm. and, and in an important way that broadens the way we just think about the world around us. So I know that day, you know, I made a certain number of calls and um, only one of the calls did the person say, you know, I got the iPad, everything's working, thank you for the call. Everybody else needed something. Um, and I would say though, one of the big learnings for me, uh, or, or I should say, it was refreshing to be reminded. You know, I didn't talk to anybody who wasn't really trying to figure it out, right? We sometimes have an image that, you know, folks aren't participating in their own wellness, if you will. And I just heard, I just talked to parent after parent who was grateful for the call because they couldn't work through the issue. They didn't know who to call. They couldn't get an answer on the phone. And just being there to simply help somebody get deeper help they needed really mattered in that moment. It's so huge. And and I, I you saying that, I've, I have a few different questions I want to circle back to here, yeah. but you saying that about having someone, like actually reaching out to someone reminds me of, so you and I met because you were my boss. Yes. At, Young audiences, yep. 20 years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 When you had just graduated college. I just graduated. We're both bombers. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went to, we both went to Ithaca, but yeah, I just graduated college. And nine, when 9 11 hit, we were oh. off. Like, I couldn't get over how the calls were coming in, like, off the hook. Like, it reminds me, it's just parallel to me. Like, teachers mm-hmm. calling from all over the boroughs saying, we don't know how to talk to, ch- we don't know how to explain it to ourselves. We don't know how to talk to children about terrorism and about people flying their, you know, mm-hmm. airplanes into buildings. We need artists in there to help. And it's, there's just a parallel to me with what you said about reaching out to someone and saying, I have no idea how to do this. And that relief, that connection, everything that you talked about before, decreasing the sense of isolation, increasing that sense of, of connection and intimacy and empathy, just from admitting that you don't know and that you need help. Yep. And it's huge. It's huge. And you know, I, I remember one other thing that really moved me was a couple of times when people picked up the phone, they were on the subway, right? So another fact and, you know, that, that a lot of people may not initially think of when you have an impression of somebody who's in the shelter system is about 30% of the people living in transitional housing have jobs. They just don't make enough money to get ahead and get an apartment, right? So you know, in those moments, you go, oh my goodness, I have a a parent who has a child trying to learn, is on remote learning. They still have to get on the subway and go to work. They might be an essential worker, right? They're trying to manage the issues of their child not being able to access the learning they need to do. And they also can't necessarily always be physically present to make sure it happens. And, And just to think about for all of us, and I think we we, we all know this, we feel some supports taken out of our life and we feel so disrupted, yes. right? And so imagine if you had very few supports to start with, mm-hmm. right? This is, you know, the, the, uh, the complexity of the moment, I think we also, um, and this is advice I often to give to volunteers is to, is to look for the complexity 
in the situation, right? Because part of us wants to be, and we're on housing right now, but we sort of go, someone's homeless, get them a home, right? And that solves the problem. And the reality is, is all of these issues are, are very complex, right? By the time somebody needs to rely for someone else on housing, housing's not the only issue, right? There have been a series of issues that have progressively been hard to deal with that have left somebody where they are. So understanding that your moment of giving back can be helpful, it can be a simple moment, it can be very rewarding, and it's probably one of many things that the person you're working with needs in that moment. And, and you saying, this links back to what you had said just um, a few minutes ago. I, I loved hearing that volunteering broadens the way that we think about the world on a visceral level. Yeah. Can you speak more to that? Just, I'm hearing like a, a flashing light of empathy, just crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think when volunteering is done at its best, right, when we, we connect, Right, and um, I think a lot of us go in at first, you know, with sort of a, a we'll call it a Mother Teresa kind of complex. Yeah, without right? a doubt, sure. I'm here, and, um, and one of the things we first learn is that first, we learn that we're getting as much out of the experience often as the person that in theory we're helping. Right, so it becomes part of our own um, uh, definition of self. It becomes uh, a way that we feel better about the world around us, and it becomes a commitment we make almost selfishly, right? Some people will say, because it makes us feel better. Um, it, it stays balanced, though, because people feel better when they know they've had an impact. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you if you're doing it fully for yourself, eventually you'll start to notice, I hope that you're not having an impact on the other person. I think the other thing that happens is, you know, we hear big terms, we hear homelessness, hunger, education, right? And it's immense. Um, being with another human being takes the problem gives it a, a scale that we can start to deal with, right? We can say, oh, you need help with tutoring, right? Because you're getting ready for your college access test or your third grade exam or, or um, a parent, uh, English isn't their first language and you can be there and maybe help translate a bit for parent-teacher conference, right? Then I take this immense question <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, and I make it something smaller and digestible. And then the other thing I find that happens is in getting to know the person, in this case, you know, say I'm calling somebody in the shelter system, or maybe I'm helping somebody prepare for their citizenship exam, right? As I go through that process with them, I start to connect how some of those policies and laws and things that I hear people fighting about that may seem too, too big, too immense to engage with, or, or to feel, you know, that uh, any sense of efficacy, 
right? It's like, okay, this is a big problem. What can Gary or Christy do? Well, when you're with that person and you start to understand first, I can take a big problem and make it maybe a little better. I can also, for this one person, I can also understand that big conversation I have here about policy and the arguing and the whatever, like, oh, this is what that turns out to be, right? When we underfund education, right? Um, when, when we say, like, we're going to increase the cost of the citizenship test by $500, and you're now meeting with people who don't have $500 and you see like what might not sound like a barrier to you or me means thousands of people who are now not gonna take that test. So one thing we do see with volunteers is the more active a volunteer is, and we've seen this in our, our, our own research at New York Cares and many have found this similar statistic is that the more that someone volunteers the more likely they are to be engaged civically in most ways. Mm -hmm. They vote, they are philanthropic, mm -hmm. um, they're part of neighborhood groups, block associations, right? This, this connection that may start with the individual then has just much broader um, uh, implications. Mm -hmm. if, if we stay in and we keep our eyes open. Now, by the way, some people just really wanna know like it never gets a lot deeper than that. They go, there's a person who's hungry because of me, they got a, a meal and that feels good. And that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, and you know, you and I had, had some emails before um, this session where I said, you know, can you ask me if somebody can make a difference sort of does that once in a while volunteering help? Um, and absolutely. Right? If you show up and you feed a meal to somebody, that's wonderful. Um, one thing I do encourage volunteers is that the minute there's another human being involved, say it's tutoring, um, job readiness kind of work, the more you can show up, the better it is for that person. And as you're trying to strike that balance of it's good for the community and it's good for you, um, remember that that other person, it just matters very deeply in the equation. Well, and especially because you saying before, using the example of the housing, is that there are people who didn't have support before. Right. Now they're getting a taste of more support. Just make sure that you're committed to that so that you don't rip it away. And then they're, they're almost left off worse than they were before knowing what it felt like to have support because they didn't know what they were missing. Yeah, and you know, sometimes people say, oh, I'd like to do this. I can't make the commitment. I wish you guys would make that possible. And you know, I've asked some people once, like if, if somebody came and read one story to your child and then was going around town t saying that they had had a life-changing effect on your child, what would you say? You'd say, you spend an hour with my kid. It's wonderful, right? That's not a bad thing, but like, just don't blow it out of proportion. Of course. And, and it, you know, it's like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just you go, you go. I, I was going to say, um, let me just gather my thoughts because you said something else. Oh, one other thing that you said too that you had touched upon when we were emailing, but you just brought into it a little bit was talking about how it is such a 
it's 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 such a huge resource for the organization it's an endeavor to bring in new volunteers so it's for the organization it's for the individuals that you are impacting it's for the community and yes it's for yourself but it's 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 so there's so much interconnectedness with this you know i i one thing i often say to people when i describe volunteers and my as i say volunteers are employees who get paid with something other than money mm -hmm. right so the systems that go into hiring you putting you to work giving you feedback. These are all things you need to provide a volunteer. Now, they're not making money, um, but often the pay is that sense of satisfaction, the emotional connection, et cetera. Um, and so when we go to an organization, we expect so much of them in terms of providing a well-scoped out activity, essentially a, a clear job description. What exactly am I doing today? How will I know I'm succeeding? And by the way, I want you to make meaning out of this for me, right? So that's a huge demand on an organization. And so again, the more you can commit to an organization, to a cause, to a person, um, the the better it'll feel for you, and frankly, a less of a drain, you'll be on a system that already doesn't have enough resource to run. Everything you said transcends, I mean, it's every state, every community can find ways to take what you said and apply it to their communities. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so needed across the board through all of our states, through all of our communities. And if every person did find some sort of, of advocacy that, they, that touches their heart, like we all have something that really means something to us, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that that's probably the best place to start with volunteering is yeah. yeah, I always give that advice. It's very interesting because a lot of volunteers, and I think this is a great energy, come in and say, where do you need me most? Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, I often say, we need you most where you feel the greatest connection to the cause, right? There is no valuation here, right? If education speaks to you, and, and if it's fitness, if it's working sure. with, with disabilities, if it's yeah serving a meal, something, something hits at you mm -hmm. and start there. And then the journey may lead you elsewhere, mm -hmm. right? You know, for instance, one of the journeys that some people will describe is they start working in a soup kitchen and then they naturally start to wonder like, how come the people in the soup kitchen line don't change, right? Like, why is this person still here three months later, six months later? They start to think about job readiness, right? Access you know, access to good jobs, uh, whatever those things may be. And that may take you on a journey of other service. Yes. Um, where, so where you, element where you, of curiosity in that. Like it enhances, there's so many, uh, so much of what you said, there's just so much of a, hum, a human condition connector, like interconnectedness, yeah. empathy, um, having a sense of community, a sense of contribution and a sense of curiosity, like start where you have a lot of connection to. And, yep. and that's why it's so important too, that I'm hearing is like, we all have something in our life that we wish was different, whether it was from someone passing away from something mm -hmm. or some, uh, someone when we were a kid who we witnessed some, like, I, yep. I feel like that if we can get really personal then we go from there, then we get more curious and it might get broader, but 
when you were talking about going in, whether it's like this big overwhelming, like hunger, homelessness, citizenship, yeah. it's like, oh, it can seem very uh, just ambiguous. Like we know it's so big, but there's right. no real personal connector yeah. to it. Once you get that personal connector, it's, yeah. it's such a, it's such a, um, it's visceral, but it, it, it webs everything together. Absolutely. You know? Um, you know, and interestingly, you know, one thing we uh, haven't talked about sort of in a spot on kind of way is that a huge amount of our, our sense of value comes from knowing we're being of purpose, right? So for a lot of people, that means knowing that the thing I'm working on is, is what is needed most, right? My talent lines up to this great need. And so, you know, one thing wherever anybody volunteers, I, you know, I always say, you know, don't walk away from that need and that, you know, don't get, let the discomfort get you just walk and be of service. Um, I think one of the things we're also learning in this uh, era very intently, and we've really been working on it at New York Cares for all in about five years. And I would own publicly for the first three years doing only okay on it um, and, and really had to do some self-reflection about who we were as an organization. But, you know, this, I, I talked about the Mother Teresa complex before, right? Like there's a, there can be a lot of, it, it, in the old days, uh, I, people would sometimes refer to helicopter volunteering, right? Which is you pop in, to a neighborhood you would never walk through normally. You spend an hour reading to a kid and then you kind of get the heck out of that neighborhood as fast as you can. And, and that is a, the opposite of curious, right? It's a, it's a deficit-based mindset. It says, oh, I read about this horrible neighborhood and I'm a good person. So kind of to prove that to myself, I'm gonna go help, right? And the truth is all communities have assets none of our communities are as thriving as we would all want, right? It's on a continuum. Mm -hmm. And part of what I have to recognize when I volunteer, and we're looking at this very specifically at New York Cares, is I have to understand that I walk into a community not understanding it, that there's a community already in progress, and that if I go in with a, a savior, mentality, right? Like at New York Cares, one of our great staff members, Darlene, always says to me, you know, it's, um, I'm here to serve, not save, mm. right? And so this, this equalizer of being of service where there are people in a community, whether that's a physical neighborhood, um, whether it's a community connected by you know, uh, a, a, an issue, what we would call an issue area, right? Whatever that connection is, coming in from a mindset of how can I serve, right? How can I build? Then, as you talked about curiosity, right? Then, that, then I can have a growth experience. Yes. You know, whether those issues are around, you know, race, gender, sexual orientation, whatever those differences are, because by the way, you know, the research is clear. We're all more likely to help somebody who's like us, mm -hmm. whatever we define that to be, than to help somebody who is not like us. Right? And some of that's, you know, some of that's ancient, right? It's a, a sense of safety, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and, and when we, you know, kind of grow up into the modern era, but when we, we push through that and make that conscious choice, um, that there, there's a great potential for growth, learning, humanizes issues. Again, those things we read about in the papers and that yeah. are clogging up our Facebook feeds <laughs> as our friends opine, right? Like that human connection helps you make sense in your own way. Um, and starting with it from a sense of, you know, equality or equity, not, not um, from, you know, a, a mindset that, by the way, might, you might start with and it'll get you there. But, you know, it, I always say, you know, if you start with some sort of savior complex, that gets, that gets taken away from you pretty quickly. It, it does. And it also is felt viscerally by the person. Exactly. We all know when we're being... Yeah. Oh, totally. There's such a respect and trust that is shaky when you're coming in from, I just wrote down, you're speaking so big time to pity versus compassion. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. And so getting to that sort of equitable place. And by the way, when we feel it, when we feel it, that's the thing we want more of. Right. You know, it's, it's the realization that, you know, in, you know, I could be standing on either side of this soup kitchen table, mm -hmm. depending on whether it's choices, circumstances, whatever it is in my life, I could be standing on either side. Mm -hmm. Right. Or trying to imagine like, what would it be like to try to get your kids through school yes. when you're navigating all of these other uh, issues? Can I? Can I just, you're making me think of a question and I'm wondering if you ever thought about this. So you've, you've had, prior to this, you were like heavily involved in the arts from, from being an actor to then getting involved in arts education and beyond, right? Mm -hmm. How is that? Because you just said something that was so the benefits of arts in humanizing relationships to me, like that empathy of what would it be like? What if, you know, the famous what if, like, what if I was that, like, how has the arts at all impacted the way that you're able to do the work that you're doing? Great, great question. I think there are a couple. First, I think curiosity is fundamental to the arts, mm -hmm. right? Like, like your artists are curious about the world around them and constantly trying to make sense of it. So I think that always helps. I think the other thing, you know, they often say like a lot of like great writers are writing the same book or the same song over and over again. They're trying to make a sense of some particular issue. So I think, you know, whether when we're looking at big, broad policy issues, the, the willingness to go in and go, hey, that thing I did didn't work. The first draft didn't work. What did I learn? How do I make it a second draft? How do I accept criticism, right, of that? And then turn that um, into the next uh, and better choice I make, if you will. I think the other thing, one thing that's so inherent in the arts, and I remember I really learned this in a, in a, a really specific way when we were at Young Audiences together, right? Is that even within the arts, right? A dancer, an actor, a composer, a visual, a painter, you know, a, a sculptor, like they don't, they all look at the same problem and they manage it differently, right? They, 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 they're, there's a way that we come from different perspectives naturally, 
Um, and we would see this like when artists would work together across mediums or across disciplines, right? You see this trying to kind of find that sweet spot where you're, you're acting and that composer and that visual artist where it all sort of comes together and makes a new sense of something. And I, and I think that's got a lot to do with community. Um, I, I also just think in terms of managing the complexities of a nonprofit, because there are multiple stakeholders, right? You have your clients, you have your donors, you have the team that's, that's doing the work day in and day out on the front lines. And, and sort of how do the, the, you balance all of those perspectives and come up with the most impactful um, intervention or program? Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's an artistic endeavor, you know, it's, it's kind of taking a, a dancer and a, and a musician and, and a, a designer and saying, put on a performance, right? I have to, uh, if we really balance everybody's perspective with a clear vision above it, um, that's, that's when we can kind of make great work happen. Great vision above it. That's the point. That's what allows your ego not to get so involved that when you have all of these different stakeholders or personalities, as long as there's clarity on the vision, we're all on the same team collaborating to get to that vision. Exactly. And it's, it's outside of us. It's bigger than us. We are just the, the, the people channeling whatever our talent is to help us get to that vision. Yeah. And, so huge. Yeah. And the best people I've ever worked with also know like when to step aside and go, this one's yours. Yes. <laughs> right. Because it's, it's not about the ego. We're in service of something bigger. And so constantly in this you know, day-to-day -day muck and, you know, whether you're a volunteer, whether you're leading a nonprofit, whatever you're doing, right, it's, it's having that bigger goal, that thing that lifts you up out of the day-to-day, -day, um, reminds you of your purpose, reminds you not to take any of this personally, right, mm -hmm. that it, it, it isn't actually about you, it's about something bigger than you, um, and that that can be very balanced. It can be balanced and it's, it's a nice, there is something that I'm learning maybe with age, Gary, that uh -oh. there's there, when you get, when I get triggered, if I'm on, I have to say, if I'm on and I'm not in like this bubble of emotion, there's something kind of cool about it because it's a reminder to not, it sounds so counterintuitive, but it's a reminder to not take it personally. Like yep. the minute you get triggered, you realize like, okay, where am I taking this personally? Where can I ease up a little bit? Where have I lost track of the greater vision? And I let the, my, you know, my ego drive, drive the bus kind of thing. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I, so for anybody, I, you know, anybody period, I think there has to be something that, you know, daily kind of brings us back to some sort of center where we go, you know, it's not that what I'm doing is unimportant. It's just not, it's just not the center of the universe, right? Exactly. And getting back to that. So, you know, at New York Cares, when I was talking about that balancing and building community and thinking more asset based, one way we've been challenging ourselves to do that in, as an organization uh, is we've identified focused neighborhoods in New York City. And, you know, I like to tell people this was part of that learning process that you and I talked about earlier in the session, where we knew that there was great need uh, for volunteers and community building in the South Bronx, in Central Queens, in Eastern Brooklyn. 
And we started making those efforts about five or six years ago. And, and we, we made a certain distance, as I always say, nothing to be ashamed of, but we weren't having the impact we really wanted to have. Excuse me. And at that time, we, we actually backed up and looked at ourselves as an organization and said, like, why aren't we having the effect we want to have here? Uh, and, and, you know, a couple big things surfaced. And, and one of them was, listen, we were a nice bunch of people who didn't necessarily live in the neighborhood, thinking about how to work in the neighborhood. Um, when we really thought about it, we hadn't fully started with the neighborhood in thinking about it. We didn't come in and uh, say, as one of our staff members says, you know, like one of the first questions is, were we invited? Right? Does the principal want you in their school? Um, does the nonprofit want help and it, the kind of help that you bring, say, with your volunteers? And, and then starting a real asset-based conversation with whether it's local elected officials, school principals, uh, folks leading nonprofits, neighborhood groups, right? Starting to think outside our own programming to say, how do we stretch ourselves to really be fully of service um, in the areas and to the people we most want to be ser in service of? And so, you know, the, our, our, our current neighborhood focus is, if you will, a second or maybe even third run at this idea of, of being a part of a community um, and being of service to it. And recognizing that, you know, and I say this to all volunteers, you showed up today and that was a journey for you to show up, right? Everybody else is meeting you for the first time. They didn't go on the journey. They don't know how you started, where you did, the effort that brought you here. And so when you get to that place, you know, it's kind of child mind, right? Like start over again, learn, you know, you probably came in with a vision of how you think you could help, but instead put that aside and like any good, you know, whether it's artist, community organizer, start by listening and then figuring out how you can be of service. So our neighborhood initiative, um, we're really working on that, building up neighborhood capacity, organizing by neighborhood. Um, and I'm very hopeful that we'll do something that has a much better and long-term effect on both us as an organization and on the communities we're serving. What you just said made me think of about um, coming in with a preconceived idea of how you're gonna help. I had, I heard a quote about parenting that said, be the parent you need to be, not the one you want to be. And it uh -huh. reminds me so much of what you just said yeah. about volunteering. Yeah, Ex yeah, absolutely. Be the uh, parent that you, that you need to be, not the one you want to be. Be the volunteer that you need to be, not the one that you want to be. They could be, yeah. inter they could be interconnected, but they might be very different. So going in with an open child's mind, like you said, is so huge. Exactly, yeah, it's, um, the journey is one about, I, I do find that people, the more flexible people stay, the more they get out of the experience, the more everybody benefits, the more rigid we are about, here's what I want to do. It gets very hard to make that good fit, right? Because you're now looking for this magical experience that's exactly like the one you envisioned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we should have a picture of what we think would feel good. And then, you know, like any good visualization, we should be flexible to, 
finding out that what we originally pictured wasn't exactly what we were looking for and and then sort of keep visualizing what that you know what that newer deeper um, connection would look like that is something we could take and have to be every part of our life is how can we be yeah. flexible with a clear vision but be flexible in how we're going to get there right yeah, exactly um, so i have been asking every guest to share their response to this because we keep hearing how COVID has done so much stuff to us we all yeah. know how much it's been just derailing us distracting yeah. us disrupting us so i'm wondering what's one thing that COVID has done for you Oh, COVID, actually, there's been so many um, uh, benefits for me, right? Um, one, I would say, is for me as a New York City person, I was really caught up in a, you know, my day was get up at 5.30, meditate for 20 minutes, get on the subway by 6.15 a.m., get to the gym at 7.15, uh, be at my desk by nine o'clock. And it was just a very tightly packed day um, where anything that went wrong would disrupt this. And I was spending two hours a day on the subway going to and from home. Of course, I read books during that time, but you know, you know me, I was Mr. Productive. So one thing that COVID did was, you know, as I say, I had all my toys taken away from me and I saw like, oh, that's the life I built, right? Like that was a choice. And if I want to schedule it differently, think about it differently, like I found this life of less to do, or I, I shouldn't say less to do because it's so busy, but this idea of like not running from place to place with millions of people around me, I was like, oh yeah, you could do this, right? And it forced me to test that. You know, the other um, thing, and this is really tactical, another gift is that um, a couple friends of mine and I for years had said, like, should we do the artist's way ever, you know? Oh, I love you. <laughs> so somewhere like the third week in September, and, and I, I'm here to admit, like, I'm not the poster child. Like, I've done a really crappy <laughs> job of the artist's way. But one thing that took right away is... I've just been doing the morning pages. Yeah, I've been doing the morning pages. Have you? Tell me. So t so can you just speak? I, I usually do not interject with this question. I let people run with it. But I, I have been doing, so I go back and forth with them. But just for the last two months, I've been doing them. I want to, I, I cannot sing their praises enough. So can you just share one? So morning pages for anybody who's unaware, it's three full pages, handwritten of stream of consciousness writing that's yeah. done in the morning. That's it. And it's just to kind of get out all the gunk in your head so that you can just start the day from a clearer place. Can you just share one benefit that you've noticed from doing them? You know, yeah, it was funny because uh, a couple friends and I, we started like a little Slack channel where we can check in with each other um, as, as we're going through the process. And we don't check in often, but, you know, one of the things that was immediate for me uh, is the writing helps me actually hit more topics, right? Where you can take an idea and obsess on it for the whole day, if you'd like. Something about like letting it come out of my pen <laughs> onto the paper. Like I wasn't going to just write the same thing over and over again for three pages. So 
it kind of actually pushed me deeper. Uh, and I've, I've definitely had that experience where some days it feels like nothing happened except I cleared my head. And then some days I'm like, how did I never connect that experience I had in when I was eight years old to that thing that happened to me a year ago? Like you, you, you see this zooming out to go, wow, there are some things that come up apparently stream of consciousness and there are some connections there. So yeah, I felt like it's also helped me be much less sort of tightly gripped on this whole experience to just say, you know what, every day it's gonna be new, it's not about me. Um, this whole experience is being filtered through the Gary Bagley that got here today. And I can either like hold on to that or I can stay flexible, learn, and, and maybe this experience, whether it's COVID, being remote, living in the country, whatever it may be, um, maybe those are things that are going to change and translate into a, a new a new next step for me, whatever that might be. Ah, I love it. I'm so happy. Gary, thank you so much. You. It was so great to see you. I love you too. And thank you to the entire team at New York Cares for everything you guys are doing. It's absolutely fantastic.